Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, ironradio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a sports nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I am a world traveler, a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. I run Strength Guild. I'm currently in the hotel room in San Francisco Bay Area. Ooh. Nice. This is uh, John Mike here. Uh, been kind of MIA for the last few weeks, but uh, it's good to be back on. I'm assistant professor. Um, my um, dissertation, my abstract specifically, has been published in the Journal of Strength Conditioning Research. And I actually just recently sent back the proofs, so the full article will be out sometime, maybe either by the end of the year or uh, first of the year. And um, it is called The Effects of Eccentric Contraction Duration on Muscle Strength, Power Production, Vertical Jump, and Soreness. So I'm uh, pretty, pretty happy about that. Competed in Strongman. I love to eat, love to take up a lot of space, and uh, it's getting dark at 5 o'clock now. It sucks. <laughs> it does suck. That's funny. Poor Phil. Yeah, it's awfully early out there, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty early, but I can't sleep well when I'm on the road anyways. I left my house at 4 a.m., and then I couldn't get to sleep here until like 10.30, which would have been 12.30 a.m., my time. So, yes, ugh. yeah, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do. So Yeah, I hear you. When I travel, I'm the same way. I'll get up early. I just can't. I don't know. I can't yeah. sleep in. All right, uh, everybody, today we're going to, after the break, we're going to talk about three worst supplement and training fads. We try to keep things pretty positive on the show, I think, but, you know, sometimes things are just wrong, so we'll talk about that after the break. We have a little bit of listener mail and news. Um, Let me start off this one. Uh, A listener, uh, Hamid Lekic, sent this, and we appreciate when he sends us stuff. This is from the Washington Post. And I I think the intent was to give a shout out to heart rate variability, which Dr. Nelson is, you know, very interested in. And uh, I I believe that was part of his dissertation, even he was using HRV. Um, But as I was reading this article from the Washington Post, I don't know, maybe this this is the salty day, you know, (laughs) like John's talking about how it's getting dark, Phil, it's up early. And I start reading this article and I'm just, just not that impressed by it. I, I don't know. Like I said, it's hard to be positive, I guess. But this is, Mike Plunkett wrote this. It's called Two Ways to Make the Most of Your Workout. No apps or trackers required. So uh, there, the two things that he's talking about is biofeedback and rate of perceived exertion. Mm-hmm. Now, RPE is hardly new. Uh, I, I don't see how this is really, maybe it's not meant to be new or news in any way, but... So there's a couple of comments in here. Like it says, uh, how do you make sense of what your body is telling you? Auto-regulation can help. And then there's a number of what I would, I guess I would consider more fitness industry people that they reached out to uh, to get their opinions and their quotes. But I don't see that much that's really like academic instructional out of this or like educational in a way. But 
Essentially, it says feeling amazing, take advantage of it. Feeling weak, do what you can, but don't push too hard. And I, I, I don't know. I guess I just consider this obvious, but I suppose there are trainers out there who they're like, no, we're we're at this point in the training cycle. This is what we're doing, regardless of how you feel, kind of thing. But uh, it says several biofeedback tests are effective for athletes, such as heart rate variability, which measures the intervals between heartbeats. HRV testing is good for runners who want to auto-regulate their training runs. Um, okay, I guess you're. I don't know. To me, if you're auto-regulating, you're doing it automatically instead of. I don't know. I'm just kind of confused at the the, the point of this this article, I, I suppose. But um, it says for strength training, use a use range of motion tests such as grip strength. What? Uh, you know, okay. First of all, it's. I mean, I'm not taking any validity or reliability away from you know grip dynamometers because they have been used you know, tremendously over, over the amount of, you know, uh, several years for either just basic grip strength or total body strength or just as, you know, dependent variables and studies. But um, I just, you know, newsflash, when you're in a training session, you don't have time for all that shit. Well, and it's not a range of motion <laughs> uh, test. I, I know. Uh, I, yeah. I don't, yeah, and you're right. I mean, if if this is a quick strength test, like you, you get in the gym in the morning, I could see how some people might say, uh, try, you know, squeeze the hand grip dynamometer. Let's let's see, are you feeling strong today? And it'd be a sort of a quick check maybe when you first get in there. I don't know. But when it, when it says, yeah, range of motion tests, I'm just thinking, well, I, I'm trying not to be judgmental of this, but that's not what that does. Uh, and then at the close of that little paragraph, it says, the idea is to gauge what your fullest range of motion will be for the day. Well, a grip strength test isn't going to do that. Uh, now, they do go on to, to talk about some flexibility type quick checks it says uh, just quote here uh then perform the movement you want to do uh without weights uh so if you're deadlifting for example perform a traditional deadlift after one or two lifts bend and stretch again if you're able to get more range of motion than your first touch your body responded positively to the traditional deadlift if it doesn't then practice another deadlift that day such as a sumo or jefferson then take the test again and keep doing this until you get a clear sense of what exercise your body will respond to during that workout. Good Lord. I don't know. What do you think, Phil? It sounds like a huge waste of time to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how many how many variables am I going to have to go through before I find, well, fuck, they all suck today. Yeah. You know, I guess I get to do something. Yeah. <laughs> Is it, let me ask you this, because I really don't know you guys, either one of you guys, but are they that hot swappable that you could say, you know, I'm not into conventional. I'm just doing sumo today. It's going to give me the same thing. It, no, I, I think they're – I mean, Phil – I know Phil will agree. I mean, they're certainly swappable. I mean, you can rotate the exercises, you know, every week or whatever. But I'm, I can just tell you from experience. I mean, I'm I'm traditionally – I'm a traditional puller. But the last couple of years, two and a half years, I've been pulling all sumo with once in a blue moon with a, 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 a traditional pull. But sumo will actually help your traditional versus the other way around. Yeah, um, because the two main limiting factors for deadlift and traditional deadlift is glutes and low back, um, yeah, yeah. among other things. But yeah, yeah, it says uh, using biofeedback. Some of the commentators from around the fitness industry, and I'm not going to name any specific names. They're not necessarily all this is not wrong. It's just the way this is sort of put together that I'm trying to get my head around. But it says uh, one of these fitness industry people says he or she here regularly uses biofeedback and says. Uh, oh, she has not experienced pain from lifting since using it. 
Well, I think it might give you some indication about how you feel for the day. I don't know why you couldn't just start your sets, and if the weight's flying up, there's your biofeedback. You know, like this, I feel strong today. I feel explosive today. Uh, you know, something like that. But the claims it's about not pain, no pain. pain because you're spending all of our time assessing instead of training. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. You should be able to get your, what do you guys think? In your warm-ups, you're like, okay, this yeah. is. This is, I feel great today. I walk away from things, yeah, you know, but it's not that, it's, I don't know. And then later it says, for, listen to this, for rate of perceived exertion, uh, it says, uh, if you go to a gym class, odds are you already use a variation of the Borg scale where the instructor, instructor asks for a seven effort on a one to 10 scale. I'm not, I'm not familiar with instructors wanting that seven, but to me, rate of perceived exertion that you know that's something you just log in your in your training log you know for the day i mean you could you could try to reach a certain perceived exertion but i usually just log like across the whole workout like not during any one moment of exercise because i think a lot of people need to realize the borg scale is a 6 to 20 scale and it's 6 mm-hmm. to 20 because it mirrors heart rate right like resting heart rate would be 60 max heart rate for a young person around 200 so that 6 to 20 sort of parallels that you know, 60 to 200 beats per minute thing. And it's meant for like a snapshot of how hard, let's say someone's doing a graded exercise test or something, how hard does it feel? But um, the way that they're setting it here, like they're saying, oh, you know, shoot for a seven, you know, that's your goal. Well, okay. I I don't know. It just, um, RPE is very old. And it's a mm-hmm. kind of thing that it's usually meant for more of a snapshot of how hard things are feeling rather than a goal. Like I'm going in today and I'm going to try to get seven out of ten. That's just what I'm trying to do. Um, there are some advantages to RPE, I think, because it, it, it is subjective, right? And so instead of like the amount of weight you're moving or the explosiveness of a rep or some variable from a tendo, you could just say this is how intense it feels to me today. You know, that kind of thing. And I guess that's what they're getting at. If it's auto, if it's auto regulation, like even if it's a yeah. lighter, lighter weights, it still feels like a seven out of 10 to you today or a, or a 15 out of 20. And therefore yeah, it, it's intense, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, and Lonnie, I, mean, I know you know this, it's RPE is fine. I mean, and it's been used, I mean, so much over the last couple of decades and it's mainly been used for endurance exercise and there, there are some studies you know out there that use it for resistance training but i mean i think what everybody has to keep in mind with rpe with with, with lifting is there's so much first of all there's so much inter individual variability with how people respond to training anyway and it's like you're not you're likely not going to have a lot of very consistent results with rpe unless you already have consistency anyway unless you've been really training for a certain number of years and you know how your body you know works and i I know that seems like a very vague answer but it's without really getting into like specifics you're not going to see the consistency you know with with rpe with resistance training like you do with endurance exercise right yeah in a lot of ways to me performance is a bottom line you know i like to see some objective stuff too i mean when you guys set up training cycles you tend to set things at a certain percentage of your one rep max you know like as you like in classic linear periodization you move toward you know uh, heavier weights higher intensity kind of thing as mm-hmm. you progress and you, you you know you shrink back the volume you know basic ideas like that and i and this is good in that you're saying listen let's let's think about how we feel 
today, I suppose, or jot some things down. Um, like I said, I, I'm just I, I'm still trying to figure out the the purpose of this piece from the Washington Post. I guess it's just. I don't know, keep an eye on yourself. I mean, uh, how many people just naturally, like runners, put fingers to their neck and, you know, get their heart rate? You know, is is my heart rate really high for this particular workload? I mean, I know they have the benefit of steady state, of course. With, you just don't get to the same extent in lifting. Um, or, you know, check your RPE. Uh, I actually log, log that in my workout book after I lift. You know, I'll log my hunger and my motivation or my general sense of perceived exertion for the day you know and i guess it does keep people from going off the deep end and being fatigue seekers you know like we've mm-hmm. been talking about instead of performance seekers um but and again I, and i appreciate hammond sending this this is no dig on him at all i mean he's just saying hey cool look at this heart rate variability stuff it's sort of in the news and i think that is sort of more interesting stuff um but when it says no apps or trackers required and again, I'm guilty. I haven't read this whole thing because it, uh, I'm just not really super enthused by it, I suppose. But to do heart rate variability, you would have to have some type of equipment, wouldn't you? How do you do HRV with no app or tracker? Am I missing something? I have to ask Mike. I mean, you know, how else do you know your your R to R interval, you know, on a millisecond scale? Uh, I'm going to have to go look at this some more. <laughs> I, <laughs> I suppose, yeah, if the message is keep an eye on how you feel, well, that's pretty wise. But I I would think that in, unless you're a ranked novice, you, you kind of do that. I, I, I don't know. Maybe people don't do that. Maybe maybe our population, we just take for granted that people have sense when they when they train, you know, or, or their, um, their lifting coaches. But- somehow keeping tabs on what they're doing, you know, and he's not just ignoring them. They're turning purple and they're, they're buckling to one side in the squat because something's hurt or they're fatigued or how could you ignore that? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, there's cues, right? I mean, that's what coaches do. I'm quick to say that to students. Coaches follow cues that you're doing something right or wrong, like physical cues. Um, and that's a skill. But uh, any good coach, I think, would, would be doing that. Somebody's having a day or a bad day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like pick up on it, even if they can't. I don't. And I, I guess this is saying do trying to do that for yourself. You know. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. All right. Moving on. This next one, uh, I'm just going to fire down a couple of quick um, tidbits from. This is the Institute of Food Technologists. They have an interesting newsletter. Uh, and this month, just to keep people posted, this is really again just so you can go follow up on some of this stuff. Uh, but. Let's see. So IFT.org, and we've got uh, some of the top stories. One, gluten-free foods powered by clean labels, plant (laughs) protein, and ancient grains. It says, according to the Packaged Facts New Report, gluten-free foods in the U.S., 6th edition, a number of Americans are buying gluten-free foods simply because the effort contributes to their sense of mental and physical wellness. Okay. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to go buy gluten to, just to make myself feel better. I don't know why I'm doing it. You guys have seen those interviews, like video yeah, interviews and on I, the web. Yeah, and I, I wrote an article for Elite FTS a few years ago about uh, gluten stuff and the history of it. And, you know, it doesn't really match up to a lot of the claims. And, and most of the claims, it doesn't really match up to a lot of the claims. And, and I know there's um, there's some interesting research out there. And 
there's a few recent ones about how gluten-free diet can, you know, I, there are some benefits to it. You know, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like it sucks and it's hogwash, but, you know, but you have to, I mean, people don't understand like celiac disease only really affects like 1% of less than the, than the population. And that you could also be um, like, you know, non-celiac gluten sensitivity, um, you know, and, and, there, and there's a few other components, but the 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 i i believe and i'm just going on based on what i wrote in in the science the people that benefit the most from gluten-free diets most of them are individuals who don't have a previous healthy lifestyle to begin with and eat like crap and eat junk and then they you know kind of uh have behavioral and lifestyle modification and start eating proteins and veggies you know, lower the carbohydrates, and then they start feeling good. So they're actually feeling good based off of those normal things, not necessarily because they went gluten-free. And, I mean, I've even tried some of the gluten-free, uh, potential gluten-free products out there. Like, there's a gluten-free oatmeal that I've tried, and I honestly can't even really taste the difference. Um, but I think in order to be, like, truly gluten-free, I mean, especially, like, in restaurants, let's say gluten-free this, gluten-free that, I mean, you basically have to have an entire section um, that's kind of closed off, you know, with with to have gluten free. I mean, you got to have like a gluten free like counter. I mean, is your is your is your chicken and steak really going to be gluten free if it's being cooked next to fried foods and you know all this other stuff? So I think people just they they react on emotion and not what's the real truth. I think that's the that's the point of this, really, right? That people are doing it just because it makes them feel good, like they're they're somehow you know, fit or wellness enthusiasts. And it's in itself, right. I I think a lot of people are really uh, misled. I mean, if you're talking about tropical or non-tropical sprue, right. Those, the non-tropical kind is the kind we're talking about, right. It's a, it's an autoimmune issue with gliadin, right. In the gluten. And, but like you said, it's a, it's a very small percentage of people. Is it possible that there's a subclinical, like reaction to it or intolerance to to gluten or wheat, there may be in some people. But I just think this again, this is just a report on things that people are doing, and you know the popularity of this stuff. The, uh, apparently, the marketers have got people to the point where they just consider that like, oh, you know, well, I'm I'm well, I'm fit because I'm eating this mm-hmm. stuff, and you know, it's like right. it's, not, it's not like you're in the middle of a training program, <laughs> you know, you just bought something that said gluten free, and you think you're doing yourself a favor. And again, most people have no idea why they're even doing that. They're just doing it because the marketers say it's it's exactly. quote, quote, healthy. Yeah. Um, uh, here's another one: new nutrition label presents challenges for food industry and dietitians. Uh, the new nutrition facts label is going to be required on packaged foods by June 26th of 2018. Hmm. Um, so they they made some big changes with this. Like they really highlight the calories number at the top. And I wonder about that. You know, I, I think the problem with too much calorie counting is we start looking at exercise like it's anti-eating. You know, like how long do I have to run to burn off this bagel, you know, and stuff like that. When the purpose of exercise, we all know, is to get adaptations. It's not just a calorie drain. That's foolish. And I think if we if we make these food, these nutrition fact labels, I get it that calories matter. Okay, I get that. But I, to me, it's the beginning of the discussion, not the end-all, be-all of the discussion. You know, is energy balance. What, what's your macro profile or your micronutrition or or even, you know, the when you eat, you know, things like that. Uh, apparently, they, they've updated serving size requirements, things like that. They've got some new definitions. There's 
the added sugar uh, is one of the things that's going to be different. And that got a lot of feedback as they were debating that. I think we've talked about that in weeks past. Um, there's a, a newly defined dietary fiber, uh, a new definition, I guess, uh, non-digestible, soluble, and insoluble carbohydrates and lignin that are intrinsic and intact in plants, and it goes on and on and on. So I guess they're just trying to spell these out, like define these things. It is true when they make label claims on some of these food labels, you know, like what's light mean? What's low-cal mean? What's high-fiber mean? And they have rules for all this Mm -hmm. stuff because marketers, again, probably like with that gluten stuff, They'll just yeah. roll with stuff. Like it, what, with the, when the feds define light as like L-I-G-H-T and then they put a number on how how many fewer calories that mm-hmm. is, then the marketers will say, oh, well, I put L-I-T-E on the label, not L-I-G-H-T. I just misspelled it, and now I can do whatever I want to trick consumers, you know. And so they <laughs> – and that's how they do this crap. Anyway, so uh, the new food labels are going to lay down a lot of this stuff. We've talked about this before. Uh, like the new labels have information on, um, you know, vitamin D, uh, where that wasn't one before. Like the previous food labels were vitamins A and C, and I, I think mm-hmm. they did that because that's from basically fruits and vegetables. And what do we do- not eat in the U.S. enough as fruits and vegetables? But I'm glad they've got vitamin D on there. I think a lot of lifters realize that's also a hormone. You know, it, it, it's at least depending on the population. There's some suggestion it might re- be related to muscular strength and. And even testosterone levels on on, on some level, but uh, and they're gonna I think emphasize, emphasize potassium more. Uh, so they're trying to rearrange the food labels. I am glad to see the emphasis on vitamin D. Uh, but yeah, June twenty sixth, not of not of next year, but the following year. You know these are going to be very widespread. So maybe I'll, put, I'll post a picture of the old and the new labels, like on our Facebook page, and people can look at them and see. But it's amazing how much like uh, nerd rage that you get over something like this you know just wanting to put added sugar or not you know or uh, what vitamins go on there you know stuff like that okay that's that's it for the news uh we're gonna have a sort of a quick episode today everybody so we're gonna go to break when we come back we're gonna talk about the three worst supplement uh and training fads Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what, uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry and what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, 
But that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Fall and soon winter will be upon us. As the holidays approach and your thoughts turn to giving, please consider your friends here at ironradio.org. Over the past several years, there have been hundreds of listener comments hoping that Iron Radio stays on the air for years to come. Iron Radio is here for you. But as with any public radio type format, the show is listener supported. That's where you come in. For just $4 per month, you can become a supporting member, keeping your weekly dose of education, experts, and gym talk flowing. Just go to www.ironradio.org and click on the $4 monthly subscribe button near the bottom of the page. Or click the donate button at the right of the page for a one-time donation. You are the Iron Brotherhood and Sisterhood. Thanks for helping to create a place for better internet programming for all strength and muscle sports. And happy holidays. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So – Uh, Whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, everybody, we are back, and like Lonnie said, we're going to do um, the worst supplement and training fads, things that are kind of have popped out there and have been an eyesore on the industry. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So, got a few, but I don't know. What do you guys got? Oh, gosh, I can't. I don't even know really where to begin, but um, probably, and most of these um, have been around for, like I said, a really, really long time, but really like in the probably late 80s and really like all through the 90s, I would say one of the biggest, um, probably top <clears throat> top 10 fads are those old school sauna suits. Um, and, uh, you know, you can wear saunas and, you know, or, you know, people would jog in sauna suits or the 80s or 90s and, you know, lose a, <clears throat> potentially lose a bunch of weight, but, you know, losing body fat, but, you know, they're just decreasing plasma volume and decreasing water retention and, and all those types of things. I mean, that's, um, that's, that's pretty, uh, of course, you know, when you're in those types of things, I mean, you can, you're pretty at risk for not only dehydration, but, um, um, 
hyperthermia too. Sure. Yeah. So. Yeah, you know, one of the things that came to my mind that jumped out, I was talking about it in class a couple of weeks ago, was um, the way they put niacin in pre-workout uh, pills oh, and yeah. powders. Like, they're doing this to get a cheap tingle, right? And I, people need to know that if you take 300 milligrams of niacin, I don't mean just little RDA, like 16 migs. I'm, I'm talking about like 300 milligrams in that stuff. They're putting it in there and, and beta alanine and that kind of stuff to – add a tingle, you know, to get that peristesis effect or niacin flush to somehow make the caffeine seem like more of a rush. But I mean, the caffeine yeah. is what's doing it, you know. Uh, now, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Beta alanine over time saturates your tissues, but it's not the kind of thing that that tingling is to, that you're feeling acutely today is not directly related to how fast you're moving that bar. Yeah, I mean, I can tell right. you that we look at this stuff in the lab. Um, but yeah, it, to me, it's a real cheap trick to put niacin in the pre-workouts and mostly not not only is it a, for a cheap thrill but it also blunts fatty acid mobilization so it exactly. actually hampers fat loss efforts and so if you're t- everybody knows you pre-workouts uh, pre-workout products and fat loss products are often the same things there's some kind of adrenaline like right adrenergic herb there's some caffeine you know, stuff like that. And they're just throwing the niacin in there. And again, in these fat loss slash pre-workout products. And it's exactly the opposite of what I would do. If I'm going to get on the treadmill and do some medium pace stuff and try to directly burn some fat, oxidize some fat, there's no way I'm taking niacin first. It's just, like I said, they're doing it for a cheap thrill. And literally it's at the expense of the consumer. It's actually harming Mm -hmm. fat loss efforts. You know, what else, Phil? What about training? Yeah, I got a, I mean, one, it's a big general one, but, um, one I don't like is that you see a lot is like, you get these camps of kettlebell only, unilateral only. It's like that people focus in on one thing and they're like, this is all you need. Mm-hmm. You know? and it, yeah. That's happened a lot lately. And I'm not to say any of those one things are bad, but by themselves, you're just missing the bus. You know, um, like, I mean, I'm not going to take any athlete and say, oh, it's it's much safer if we just do unilateral stuff and we'll be able to use half the weight. Well, yeah, but that's not, you know, how are you going to tell me it's safer than having somebody on two feet to put them on one feet? Oh, right. You know? Yeah. And, and things like that. So, I mean, it's there's a big, like, people tend to take things way too far. Yeah, well, because um, it's, it's an extreme bias. They're not open to other things. It's just, it's kind of like the same thing, like, um you know, with Olympic lifting, and I mean, I like Olympic lifting, don't get me wrong, but when people say, well, it's it's the only thing, it's the end-all, be-all, it's the only two exercises that increase power output level and force production. I mean, it's kind of the, saying the same thing. It's just um, it, not everything is a barbell, you know, not everything is a kettlebell, not everything is dumbbells, right. you know, so. They're tools, you know. To me, this sounds like the yeah. reader hook. You know, you'll have an editor approach you and be like, I want you to write a book on, you know, for example, this happened to me once. Right. I want you to write a book as to why cortisol is the reason Americans are all fat. And I'm like, okay, that might be a contributor, but in good, you know, in in honesty, I can't write a book where the reader hook is just so, like Phil said, like you know, completely focused, one sided focused on cortisol is why we're all fat because God knows, I mean, people don't move. How about get off your ass? That's a good one, you know, or yeah. change your diet a little bit. Um, and not just through some cortisol mechanism. But that's a good point, Phil. Whether it's books or, or supplements or training programs, they'll latch on to this sort of hook as to 
this is why you're getting the results. And no, it's yeah. it's one variable, one mechanism of many, probably, you know, with, with like if you consume fish oils, yes, that might reduce your cortisol response to stress a little bit. But what what about the anti-inflammatory effects or the triglyceride lowering effects or 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 or, you know, or it's yeah, they overemphasize one thing. And unfortunately, like with the gluten thing, I was just talking about from that IFT uh, newsletter Consumers latch onto it. They're like, "Oh, okay." You like they want to latch on to just one thing. Unfortunately, I'm afraid that you know they're vulnerable to that kind of sales pitch. Instead of somebody saying, "Well, uh, sorry to say, it's more complicated than that." <laughs> you know, and that's, oh, I yeah. mean, yeah. like all the good kettlebell guys I know train with barbells too. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Just, what changes is, and that's like any sport. You know, any sport can can benefit from basic strength and conditioning pretty much. Except for maybe like I don't know if you want to call chess a sport or something like that, but um, you know there's transfer from that, you know. Right. So yeah, I mean, carry over. If I take, if I take a football player and we bring him from a 315 squat to a 600 squat, as long as his skills at least stayed the same, he's essentially going to be a better player, you know, as right. long as he didn't ignore his skill work. So mm-hmm. both, you know, if I take a kettlebell guy and he's really good at it. And he keeps practicing that, but we do donate twenty percent of our time to getting stronger. He's going to be better at it, you right? Know? You know, John. That that makes me think about some of your stuff with the eccentrics, because you know, one of the first questions I think that crop up after people do that for any length of time. I mean, I was always interested in eccentric lifts just for the hypertrophic a- aspects of it, you know. But one right. of the performance things is going to come up is how much does this transfer to a concentric movement? Right or or toward the lift or even on the field, you know what I mean. So it, there's got to be well, some there, level I mean, of transfer there. Yeah. Oh yeah, there definitely is. I mean, we can talk about. I mean, that's an entire episode right oh, sure, there. Oh sure, sure. It, it, it most definitely transfers. I mean, and there's even various um, training methodologies out there. I mean, you take something like um, you know, uh, buddy I know Cal Dietz, you know, triphasic training. I mean, he incorporates eccentrics <clears throat> for for each one of those specific phases for, you know, two to three weeks. And then they go to isometrics for two to three weeks and then a concentric. So, I mean, there's no doubt. I can tell you firsthand. I mean, there's no doubt at all that the transfer of eccentric training um, for, for pretty much all lifts um, have a, have a tremendous transfer to concentric lifts. And take my study alone. I mean, going down on a four second and six second eccentric squat, um, had good transfer to um, squat jumps and vertical jump, and then even you know one RM squat. Oh, sweet, so yeah. um, okay. you know, and that's just that's just one example. But yeah, abs- uh, absolutely. I mean, we could talk about that you know for two, three, four episodes right. if you wanted to. And as much as much <laughs> yeah. as you and I love eccentric stuff, uh, it, it maybe even for somewhat different reasons. But uh, at no point am I going to come out with a book or some kind of you know ebook or video program or something where I'm just saying eccentrics is all you're going to do this is the secret there's nothing don't worry about anything else you know what i mean because then you're going to end up with people who are you know they don't get um maybe some of the the benefits of let's say speed work you know or agility work or 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 you know there's no way you're going to come out and just do this sort of uh consumer hook to try to tell everybody this is this is just the shit you know and everything else is sure these are the new rules you know kind of thing (laughs) Um, so new rules uh, uh, Phil, what about supplements or diets and that kind of stuff? Can you think of anything along those lines, or are you mostly focused on training? And no, no boosters. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Um, everybody's searching for that. But, but yeah, yeah no, that shit, that stuff's still out. That stuff's still out there. I'll put, put, um, like a lot of different exercise products, um, you know, like all the little, you know, four, six, eight minute abs, that type of stupid shit. Um, you know, the, the shake of weight. I mean, seriously, I mean, I, and, and it's like, I saw this infomercial with, um, uh, Lori Greer, who is actually one of the hosts of shark tank. And, uh, one of the infomercials is says that, you know, she doesn't like to exercise and get sweaty, but she likes to tone and she's promoting this product <laughs> that you just basically get on. And it's just kind of like a, a modified little slide board in a sense. And you just move around, you know, get on top of it. It's, it's basically like you, you just twist while you're on this little, you know, mini slide board. And it's just, it's all about as, no, you know, folks, it has nothing to do like with exercise at all. It just has to do with glorified, well-marketed versions of, of creating web revenue for people, you know, right. and just kind of sucking people in and, you know what, John? You touched on a word there that I think has been so damaging to the at least like the strength side, the resistance training side of the industry, but even on the aerobic side, but is tone. I have yeah. no piece of equipment in the lab that measures tone, right? It's <laughs> I, I could I can get fat free mass or fat mass in a bod pod, you know, I can do girths, I can do all kinds of body comp tests. What do you mean by tone? Because, you know, that leads people down this primrose path where, oh, I don't want to use heavy weight. I'm just trying to tone. It's like tone. If you mean if you mean you want to look hard and shapely, I suggest you get your ass under some weight. <laughs> you yeah, know, exactly. and, and, but yeah, that whole tone concept, uh, it it's so damaging to the gen pop, you know, because yeah. the, yeah. it, I, oh, don't even get me started. You can't tone fat and bone. The, no, good, right? Thank you. <laughs> so. and I, I think um, I think another one, probably more recent one, I would say. Um, one of my good friends um, in in the industry, and uh, and I, I'm a fan of foam rolling, and I think it does well with you know increases in range of motion. You know, uh, helps with to facilitate the recovery process, and that's fine. You know, we use it for you know um, part of range of motion activation, movement prep. You know, the first five minutes or so, but that's different than. than using you know uh, various foam rollers to kind of to uh you know undo like scar tissue okay i don't think anybody most people don't understand like you're not gonna fucking undo your scar tissue by foam rolling you know the soft tissue in in two three four five minutes like you don't understand how hard and, and, and just the nature of soft tissue is, I mean, if you really want to undo like scar tissue, you'll have to do it through surgery. I mean, it's, it's just being able to keep things in context, I think is, is a fad in and of itself that almost like a myth too. It's just, it just, people just don't want to keep things in context or they take things out of context. It's a good point. I mean, think about like a scar, a visible scar on your skin, you can't just massage that for five minutes and it just wears away and breaks open. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, soft tissue is a little bit more robust than that, you know. And your whole, bo and your whole body is soft tissue. Your whole body is fascia, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're not going to dissolve that. But again, I think the average person, they don't want to they, – they don't want some idea that, listen, we're just trying to relax some of these structures, you know, and change them over weeks to months. Um, yeah, they're going to just kind of – yeah, roll out a little bit, and yeah, in their mind, they're actually separating something or you know breaking something down, and it's you, you know you're not really doing that right. Then you might be affecting your nervous system, you know, 
or that. And I'm not saying you can't increase tissue elasticity over time, uh, but yeah, you, you don't. It doesn't work the way a lot of people think. I think. Mm-hmm. What else? Anything else? No, I mean, I, I just need to come out with a book that's called 10 Years to Awesome. I'll sell like two copies. Right, two. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's all about – I mean, I'm not going to say it's all about, but it's just so many people just feed off just laziness, you know? I mean, if you want results, you got to put in the work. You got to put in the time. If you're not putting in the work or not putting in the time – don't expect to have any moderate level of of success, you know, w- w- with things. I mean, it's just um, people just want to find the the easy road, and um, you know, typically once you start down that path, and and I'm not saying you have to work 23 out of 24 hours, but you know, put in the work, put it, put in the time, and and the results show for it. Um, and, and I just I just wish that um, our industry would. And, and it has. It's come a long way, and, and we are increasing standards. But um, on the whole, I just I, I wish the industry did not have such a um, a low barrier to entry. Well, that's I guess that's one of the things that I'm looking at this Washington Post piece. It just doesn't seem, you know, really well thought out. And some of the people that they're speaking to, you know, and again, I don't want to sound ivory tower like, well, they're they're not researchers, so we shouldn't listen to them. But it'd be nice to have at least a couple examples. Of evidence, you know, so we can base base some of these things on what I would consider some form of, you know, whether it's, I, I don't know, research, um, a, a, a truly educated guy given or a gal given a professional opinion uh, instead of just sort of this, let's just cast out a net across the industry and anybody who wants to jump in, you know, regardless of degrees or certifications or, or whatever, they're just sort of, I don't know, they have a website you know, and then we're starting to get quotes from them and stuff, and I, I think that's just dangerous. We have to move toward a situation where we're making conclusions, not belief. You know, people make belief. It sort of is like faith, right? And there's a time for that, I suppose. But it's that's making conclusions in in the absence of evidence, and we can't. Yep. Our field can't be like that. We have to be able to make conclusions based on some pretty, you know, hard observations, observe and record types of stuff. You know, and unfortunately, yeah, the marketers, of course, know whether it's gluten or it's niacin in your pre-workout or it's some ridiculous piece of attire or workout equipment. Uh, people want to believe, and they just prey on that stuff. You know, yeah. so yeah, there's always going to be the the fads and trends, I guess. All right, guys. Well, that's that's all we've got for this week. Like I said, kind of short episode. Phil's out there in the wee hours in California, and John's busy as hell, and. So, but, you know, a little bit of news, a little bit of discussion for you this week, and uh, we'll see you next time. Sounds there good. you go. Thank you. See you guys. Later. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store. 
uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good. Uh, Knee sleeves, wraps of some kind. Things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.